0: be a good time to look at some helpful tools. Those tools should help you identify risks, consider and plan for them. You may also want to visit the Institute of Risk Management. Their website is thetheirm.org. They offer qualifications, training, publish research and thought leadership and set professional standards, so they are a useful resource to draw on. The first tool I wanted to discuss with you is something called the Six Hats. Six Thinking Hats was written by Edward de Bono. And the Six Thinking Hats and the associated idea of parallel thinking provide a means for groups to plan thinking processes in a detailed and cohesive way and in doing so think together more effectively. But it can also be used as you as an individual. Think about yourself sitting there and putting different hats on and in those different hats You're looking at the same problem or looking at the same situation, but you're taking a different perspective. And as a result of that, you're drawing out different points or different issues or different conclusions. You and your team members can learn how to separate thinking into six clear functions and roles. And each thinking role is identified with a coloured symbolic thinking hat. By mentally wearing and switching those hats, you can easily focus or redirect thoughts, the conversation or potentially even your meeting. So what are those hats? Well the first is the white hat and it calls for information known or needed. You can summarise it as the facts, just the facts. The yellow hat symbolises brightness and optimism. Under this hat you explore the positives and pro for value and benefits. Whereas the black hat is judgement, it's the devil's advocate of why something may not work. Spot the difficulties and dangers. Think where things might go wrong. Probably the most powerful and useful of the hats, but can be a problem if overused. Then there's the red hat, which signifies feelings, hunches and intuition. When using this hat, you can express emotions and feelings and share fears, likes, dislikes, loves and hates. And then there's the green hat, which focuses on creativity, the possibilities, the alternatives and the new ideas. It's an opportunity to express new concepts and new perceptions. And finally is the blue hat, which is used to manage the thinking process. It's the control mechanism that ensures the six thinking hats guidelines are actually observed. Another way of looking at the six hats is to think of blue. That's the sky above you. So that's the chair. White, that's purity. So it's information. It's not tainted. Green are the green shoots of innovation. Red is passion and emotion. Yellow is that sunny and positive. It's the pro, it's the for, it's the argument to do something. Whereas black is a little bit like death and negative, it's the con, it's the against. De Bono believes using six hats for you and your team will help you learn how to use a disciplined process which will not only maximise productive collaboration and minimise counterproductive interaction and behaviour, but it allows you to consider issues, problems, decisions and opportunities systematically. Using parallel thinking as a group or as a team to generate more, better ideas and solutions. It can help make meetings shorter and more productive. It can reduce conflict amongst team members or meeting participants. And it can stimulate innovation by generating more and better ideas quickly. It can create dynamic, result-orientated meetings that make people want to participate. And it goes beyond the obvious to discover effective alternative solutions. It helps you spot the opportunities where others see only problems. It's all about thinking clearly and objectively. Viewing problems from new and unusual angles. And making thorough evaluations. At the end, you've seen all sides of a situation, but all the while it helps keep ego and turf protection in check. Overall, it achieves significant and meaningful results in less time. And in this scenario, it can be a useful tool to help you think and manage risk. So that's the first tool, and that's designed to help you think. But there are other tools, such as environmental scanning, and These are equally useful. I've got four that I suggest we look at, and they would be Deep List, Porter's Five Forces, McKinsey's Seven S's, and Force Field Analysis. Running through each in turn, first Deep List. In two thousand, Paul Finley had a book published called Strategic Management: An Introduction to Business and Corporate Strategy, and in this book he used the acronym Deep List. D-E-E-P-L-I-S-T as a way of highlighting the key areas that needed to be explored when looking at an environment in which a business operates which it cannot control or influence. Constraints, if you like. Traditionally, marketing and business strategists have used PEST, P-E-S-T, or PESL, P-E-S-T-L-E, analysis. That's political, economic, social, technological, legal, environmental. In contrast, the deep list acronym stands for demographics, economics, environmental or ecological, political, legal, informational, social, and technological. What I would say here is not to worry about the categories, it's using the model or the theory as a guide, as a prompt, which is far more important. So, what this deep list does is it gives you areas ways to approach potential problems in your business and ways to look at those problems. It gives you categories, is another way of thinking about it. Second, Porter's five forces. Porter argues the state of competition in an industry depends on five basic forces, those being the threat of new entrants, the bargaining power of suppliers, the bargaining power of buyers, the threat of substitute products or services, and existing industry rivalry. And his model is used as a framework for analyzing companies' competitive environment, which is clearly an area of risk for business. And in more detail, the five forces are, first, supplier power. The assessment of how easy it is for a supplier to drive up prices. This is driven by the number of suppliers of each essential input the uniqueness of their product or service, their relative size and strength of the supplier, and the cost of switching from one supplier to another. Then there's the buyer power, an assessment of how easy it is for the buyer to drive prices down. This is driven by the number of buyers in the market, the importance of each individual buyer to the organisation, the cost of the buyer switching from one supplier to another. And if a business has just a few buyers, they're often able to dictate terms. Then, as I've already mentioned, is competitive rivalry. The main driver is the number and capability of competitors in the market. Many competitors offering undifferentiated products or services will reduce a market's attractiveness. The fourth force is the threat of substitution. Where close substitute products exist in a market, it increases the likelihood of customers switching to alternatives in response to price increases. And this reduces both the power of suppliers and the attractiveness of the market. And finally, the threat of new entrants. Profitable markets draw new entrants to them, which erodes profitability. Unless incumbents have strong and durable barriers of entry, for example, patents, economies of scale, capital requirements or government policies then profitability will decline as the competitive rate increases. Arguably, regulation, taxation and trade policies make government a sixth force for many industries. It's worth bearing that in mind. And this is a tool for understanding the forces that shape the competition within your industry. It's also a useful tool to help you adjust your strategy to support your competitive environment, assess risk and improve your potential profits. It's not perfect and it has some limitations. For example, it actually assumes there's a perfect market. But as with Deep List, its value here is a prompt or as a checklist. The third tool I wanted to talk about was McKinsey's Seven S's. The McKinsey's 7 S's S's framework is a management model developed by business consultants Robert H. Waterman Jr. and Tom Peters in the 1980s. It's a tool that analyzes a firm's organizational design by looking at seven key internal elements, strategy, structure, systems, shared values, style, staff, and skills, in order to identify if they're effectively aligned and allow an organization to achieve its objectives. You can use the 7S's model in a wide variety of situations, where it's useful to examine how various parts of your organization work together to highlight risks. The model categorises the seven elements as either hard or soft. The three hard elements are strategy, structure, such as organisational charts and reporting lines, and systems, such as the formal processes and IT systems. These are all relatively easy to identify, and management can influence them directly. In contrast, the four soft elements, the shared values, the skills, the style and the staff, can be hard to describe. They're less tangible and more influenced by your company's culture, but they're just as important as the hard elements if an organisation is going to be successful. So as with these other models, let's briefly look at each of these elements individually. First, the strategy. This is your organization's plan for building and maintaining a competitive advantage over its competitors. Then there's the structure. This is how your company is organised, that is, how departments and teams are structured, including who reports to whom. Then there's the systems, the daily activities and procedures that staff use to get the job done. The shared values. These are the core values of the organisation, shown in corporate culture and in the general work ethic. They're called the superordinate goals, when the model was first developed. And then the style, the style of leadership adopted, staff, the employees and their general capabilities, and finally skills, the actual skills and competencies of the organization's employees. By going through these seven S's, you'll really understand the internal workings of your business. So whereas the six thinking hats was a way of you as individuals to wear different hats and think differently, and Porter's five forces allowed you to look at the competitive environment McKinsey's seven S's allow you to look internally at your own business operations. And that leads us on to the final tool I wanted to mention today, the force field analysis. It was created by Kirk Levine in the 1940s. Levine originally used the tool in his work as a social psychologist. What Levine believed was that there was a state of equilibrium or an equal performance was the result of a combination of driving and restraining forces at work. Driving forces represented those forces that encouraged change in some way. Today, however, force field analysis is also used in business for making and communicating go and no-go decisions. force field analysis is typically used in change management context. It can be adapted for risk identification by identifying driving forces, forces for change, you might say, and restraining forces, forces against change which currently affect achievement of the project's objectives. Risk can then be identified as uncertain events or conditions which could lead to a change in the strength of one or more of these identified forces. Any state of equilibrium or level of performance was the result of a combination of driving and restraining forces at work. The driving forces represent those forces that encourage change in some way. Today, however, force field analysis is also used in business. Making communicating go and no-go decisions. It's a useful decision-making tool. It helps you to make a decision based on analyzing the forces for and against the change and helps you communicate the reasoning behind those decisions and to better understand where risk sits. There are four steps to follow. First, determine the desired condition. What is the desired condition that would be worth working towards? Be as specific and as clear as possible. The fundamental is that anything that will draw the organisation closer to its ideal situation is good. On the other hand, anything that distracts from achieving that situation is bad. Thus clearly establishing the desired state is important since all analysis will be conducted in that context. Second, identifying the driving forces. The project team members could conduct an environmental analysis. this, for example to determine what external forces could expedite arriving at a desired state and what the relative strengths of these forces are. Placing these driving forces on a chart in a force field analysis diagram as labelled arrows with the length of the arrow reflecting the relative strength of each force. The third step is identifying the restraining forces. Similarly, the situation must be reviewed to ascertain the external forces that could have a negative impact on your ability to achieve the desired state. Those forces would slow the journey to the state that it would make it more expensive or more challenging to achieve should be documented. Representing these forces on the diagram as you did those of the driving force. So an arrow, the length of it being how strong it is. And finally, the fourth stage, developing the comprehensive change strategy. Outcomes of the discussion on driving forces and restraining forces are ultimately documented to a force field chart. Next, you assign a score to each force, from, say, one being weak to five being strong, and then add up the scores for each column, the fours and against. Use big arrows for the forces that will have a greater influence on the change and smaller arrows for forces that have a less are less impactful or influential. The diagram created in step 2 to 4 reflects what could be called a state of quasi-stationary equilibrium. And although this is a relatively stable state, movement can be achieved by altering the factors currently contributing to this equilibrium or highlighting the risk factors and which are more likely or less likely to happen. Changes can occur as a result of any combination of the following. Strengthening of the driving forces. Adding a new driving force possibly by transforming a former restraining force or removing or reducing any of the restraining forces. Now this model sounds quite intense. The wording is used, sounds more academic and unfriendly. But all we're trying to get at here, or all we're trying to get you to take away from here, is looking at those different forces that can be beneficial or can be constraining to your business, understanding them in the context of risk and giving them a priority ranking them so to speak, and maybe understanding how they might work in tandem with one another to affect your business. Now the strengths of this tool are to create a deep understanding of the factors that affect a project's objectives. Another strength of this tool is that the resource requirement for it are limited, i.e. a blank sheet of paper or a whiteboard can be used. But it does have some weaknesses. It can be time-consuming a complex technique. It's usually only applied to a single objective, so it does not provide a whole project overview or a whole business overview. And it can be quite subjective. If you're making an important decision, I'd recommend using it alongside other decision-making tools.